Great to see you this morning. Welcome to Awakening. If you're new, my name's Ryan. Thrilled to have you. We're in a series uh, entitled Better. Uh, and so actually, I think we might do this um, for sure during the week, but uh, we're going to be answering some questions. And so if you have any questions on it, uh, if you can just do it on Twitter or Facebook, uh, hashtag better series, uh, then we can find your questions. We'd love to be able to answer those. Um, we believe that we're fundamentally better together than we ever could be apart. That, that we don't gather on Sundays. I don't know if you think about it this way or have thought this. We don't gather together simply because this is a religious thing. We don't gather together simply because this is what you do and this is how we do church or this is the rote motions that you go through. We gather together because we believe that the collective we far outweighs any individual contribution, okay? And we believe that we're better together, that our strengths combined can have an incredible impact, where on our own, we are limited to our own resources and limited by our greatest weakness. As a pastor, um, people get weird around me. It's funny. Like, like, I don't know what you think I do during the week, but anytime uh, people see me outside of church world, it's like seeing a unicorn. You know, it's like, what do you do? And especially, um, it, it, especially if you don't know me, uh, you know, when people find out I'm a pastor, they start acting a little bit weird. If you happen to be a Christian or even religious, you find out I'm a pastor, this is, all of a sudden, they change their words. Like, it's, hey, brother. I'm like, you weren't calling me brother before, but now all of a sudden we're brother. And all of a sudden they're throwing in the word bless or bless you or, you know, some of these words. Uh, and then if you're not a Christian or not religious, uh, they really try to um, not cuss, you know, before they're cussing like a sailor. And then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, I'm sorry, excuse my French. <laughs> like, I don't think that's French. I don't know. I mean, we can't blame it all on the French uh, there. Uh, but it's crazy. Uh, this is a weird thing, too, is um, spontaneous confessions. It's weird. This is weird. People come up to me the minute they find out I'm a pastor, and they just start to blurt out at me. I'm so sorry. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, I, I don't have any. I can't, you know peace be with you. I don't know. But, but all of a sudden, they just start to blurt out all their confessions. It, it's so funny. I was at um, my son's baseball game on Wednesday, and uh, the coach knows I'm a pastor, and he doesn't really know what to do with it. It's like a unicorn in the horn. All you do is stare at the horn. He doesn't know what to do with the rest of the horse. He's just staring at the horn, you know? And, and he's, he's hitting grounders to the boys, and I'm catching for him. And one particular grounder, and you've seen this, where it takes a bad hop, and the boy goes to kind of protect his face, and he just, you know, stabs at it like that. You've seen that before, you know? It's not in the professionals, but, you know, the young kids do this. They're like, oh, oh, I got it. And he happened to catch it. And coach yells at him, we don't pray when we ground. And then he looks at me like, oh, I just said that in front of the pastor. <laughs> and then the conversation gets really weird. He goes, well, well, we don't pray with our our heads up. I guess we do pray when we ground grounders, but we don't pray with our heads up. You pray with your heads down. (laughs) 
And that's what we do with people that are different. See, we fundamentally believe that we're better together than we ever could be apart, but we have one fundamental problem. We come in as a community of difference. We come in as unicorns, each having our own horn, and we focus on the thing that makes us different and not exactly sure about how to address it. And so we're just kind of staring at that one thing. See, something powerful happens in the community, and this is the invitation for us this morning. Something powerful happens when we stop focusing on the differences that divide us and begin to focus on the differences that unite us. We begin to look at the individual strengths, and we begin to look at one another and see their differences actually make us better, uh, we've been talking about this last week. We talked about the weight of worth. I encourage you to go back there. But there's two kind of fundamental approaches for us to get better. Remember this? First approach is um, I can better myself by myself. This is our default because better together is harder. Better together means I have to be around people that are nothing like me. I have to be around people who are different. I have to be around other people that challenge the way I think, challenge what I say, challenge the way we work together. And so we often default to, you know, this whole birds of a feather flock together and just try to be around people that are just like us, that just look like us, that just think like us. And yet, Scripture tells us we is far better than just me. It is the call of every single follower of Jesus that the we-ness is what makes the church actually unique in a world that is so broken and separated by its differences. But the question is, how do we really experience the better together life? How do we, to say it in a different way, how do we actually focus on the differences that unite us and not divide us? If you got your Bibles, would you open them up to Ephesians chapter 4? We're picking it up back up in verse 7. But what we have to remember, I don't know what you think of when you think of the early church. I don't know what picture comes to your mind when you picture the early church, when these letters were first, like it wasn't in a bound book. It just came in a little scroll that was sent to this church. I don't know what comes to your mind when you think about that, but oftentimes what comes to my mind is the picture is everyone there looks the same, talks the same, and basically thinks the same. I I don't know, that's just kind of how I just naturally kind of project. But the early church couldn't have been more diverse, couldn't be more different. In fact, they put the fun in dysfunctional. I, I mean, if you ever read 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, what you'll find out is they're not only different, they're really screwed up people that Paul is writing to, these early followers of Jesus. I mean, you had prostitutes sitting next to politicians. You had slaves who had no status, no standing next to Roman citizens. And status in the Roman world was a big, big deal. In fact, you had a special garb that you wore and special banners that you wore to Based your status upon. Slaves wore none of those things where Roman citizens, depending on their cloak and different banners that they wore across, showed their status. And yet, in one house 
were prostitutes, politicians, slaves, Roman citizens. You had Jewish religious leaders, separatists from all others who came to know Jesus next to Greeks who who lived and came from a lifestyle that was the most gluttonous, the most proscue, thank you, permiscuitous, there it is. (laughs) And yet, and yet it was this unlikely band of differences. This group of people that, that had nothing in common until they had Jesus in common. That revolutionized the early world. That changed the way we think about life itself because they took Jesus at his word and they began to focus on the differences that unite them over the differences that divide them. If you've got your Bibles, we pick it up in Ephesians 4, verse 7. I love this passage. I hope to unpack it for you. And then we're going to just pull two big ideas from the text. The Apostle Paul writes this. He says, but to each one of us, grace. Circle that word grace. It's the word uh, charis. It literally means undeserved favor. Now, in this context, Paul isn't talking about salvation grace. This isn't like entrance into heaven grace. This is a specific kind of grace that he has given to every single person that is unique. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ has apportioned it. He's talking about spiritual gifts. He's talking about that the... that. For every single person in this room, think about this. The minute you put your faith in Christ, a couple things happen. One, you're transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. The Holy Spirit now dwells inside of you. He gives you a new heart and new life. And on top of all of that, then he endows you with the spiritual gift that you might not just belong to the community of Christ, you might be a contributor and help build up the community of Christ. You might build his kingdom. He says, I've given you, I've given you, I've given you, not just some people and not just the person on the stage, but every single one. He's really intentional of saying each one of you, all of us. And now he gives us this picture. It's a great picture of why. Because so oftentimes when we talk about spiritual gifts, you know what we ask, and this isn't a bad thing to ask, we need to ask this, but what is my spiritual gift? That's important. And our prayer, we want to help you discover your spiritual gift. Um, Steve Saccone, if you don't know, is like our spiritual gift guru, a leadership guru. He's doing a thing Wednesday night, not on gifts, but on your design. Summer, we're spending a whole summer called Blueprint in our summer study, helping you discover. We want to answer and help you answer that question. What is your spiritual gift? Because you not only belong, but you play an incredible, intricate part to the weeness of God here. But when Paul answers this question, he asks it different. Why spiritual gifts? Have you ever thought about that? Why? Why why did Jesus decide to apportion to you, to you and to you and to me, these spiritual gifts? He gives us this picture. It comes from, uh, he quotes Psalm 68. It says, this is why, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. 
Now, here's the picture, because we don't readily get it. The Ephesians got it right away. The picture, if you read Psalm 68, is God coming and restoring Israel, coming up onto his holy mountain and bringing victory to Israel, vanquishing the enemies and presiding as king. What happened in the ancient day is they didn't have CNN. They didn't have Twitter. They didn't have all these things to help us know what's happening around the world, how they knew that a king conquered and defeated the enemy was this way. King would go out to battle with his army, would conquer, and then would return. And on the return, he would be traveling at the forefront. The army would be right beside them, right behind him in full military array. And then behind him would be captives, often either just clothed down here or not at all, completely naked. And they would be chained. They would be the, the, the prominent captives that would be led into the city. And as the king would approach the capital, the whole city would come out on either side and welcome their king home. And they would cry out cheers of joy. Um, this is where, you know, when Jesus is entering in, they're crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna. That's the picture of the conquering king coming into a city. And as they're crying out, then what the king would do would begin to hand out spoils, plunder, gifts to the people to show that he indeed did defeat and he's sharing the bounty of his victory with you. So spiritual gifts are a big, big deal because it is the conquering king, Jesus, coming and saying, I'm sharing the spoils that I have defeated sin, death, and Satan, and now you have life. And I'm giving you this gift as a reminder. So every time you use it, you just it reminds you I'm alive, I'm moving, and I am victorious. I'm alive, I'm moving, and I'm victorious. And you step into it and you see God work. That's right, he's alive, he's moving, and he's victorious. And it just reminds us. And the whyness for spiritual gifts for Paul was unity, was oneness. He gives it this way, and I'll get to verse nine because it's a little confusing, but I'm gonna put that on hold for a second. But he says this, basically in this first part. You are uniquely gifted by Christ to bring about supernatural good. You are, not me. Well, I am too, okay. But here's, here's the way we think about it. I'm not that important. I'm not that significant. I'm not that gifted. God can never use me. And if you know my past, God doesn't actually want me. I'm just kind of one of those sideline followers, not because I want to be, just because I don't feel like I could be. And yet the truth of God's word is you. Take that in. Well, you actually do this. Turn, turn to the person next to you and just say, you're uniquely gifted. Would you do that for me? You are. You are uniquely gifted by Christ to bring about supernatural good. Now, here's the picture. This is, this is powerful. So when Paul talks about it and the goal of unity, he always talks about it as the body. 
he always gives us the picture of the body. Notice what he says in Romans 12. And if you want to study spiritual gifts, there's four major passages. Ephesians 4, what we're in, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and 1 Peter 4. All right, so he says this in Romans 12. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts. Yeah, they're different. They don't divide. That We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. Okay, every believer has been given at least one spiritual gift, often more. You have a spiritual gift for the building up of the good of the community of Christ and advancing his kingdom. It's not a natural ability, but oftentimes because Christ apportioned it, it's gonna work in uh, cooperation with your natural abilities. This is not the fruit of the Spirit, Fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. This is what happens when we abide or when we remain in God. He produces that life in us. This is a supernatural gift that when you step into it, it brings about your joy and ultimate good. It is not just simply the gift of the Spirit. That happens at salvation. When you step into a relationship, he gives you the Spirit of God. You have been gifted by God with at least one spiritual gift, and you did nothing to earn your spiritual gift. In fact, the Greek word for spiritual gift, and you see it in 1 Corinthians, is the Greek word charismata. It's where we get our word charismatic. It literally means grace gift. It means grace gift. This is the king coming in victorious, saying, I have defeated and I am reigning, and so this is just my abundant over-the-top gifting to you. You did nothing to earn it. And by the way, Jesus decides which spiritual gift you're given. Did you catch that out? Did you pick that up? Just as Christ apportioned it. First Corinthians will we'll note that the agency of that is the Holy Spirit in your life. But he makes the decision. Now here's the problem. Instead of stepping into our gifting, what we do is we compare with others. Well, I, I don't have that speaking gift like Ryan has. Well, I, I don't have that hospitality gift like so-and-so has. I don't have this. We compare instead of compliment. We complain instead of co-labor. And the calling is when we go, you know what? I have a unique gift that makes up the body. Let me give you a picture. Would you guys stand up right here, the, your, your first two rows? Yeah, I'm going to make you work this morning. Okay, you know what we're going to make you? We're going to make you the head. Yeah, you got excited. Maybe we'll, we'll pick you. No, I'm just kidding. We're going to make you the head, all right? You guys stand right up here, and you're going to be the torso. Would you do that for me? I know you guys got to stand up. Yeah, yeah. Okay, you're going to be the arm. You'll be the ear. Yeah, why not? Do the ear. The ear. You guys are the arms back there. You guys are the legs. Come on, stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up. I know. Oh, good grief. I had to stand up in church. We're going to do this four times so you get a squat workout in, all right? (laughs) The picture of unity of what Paul is talking about, what Jesus prayed for, is when we accept our roles, 
except that you have been uniquely gifted. Some are head, some are ears, some are eyes, some are the body, some are the heartbeat, some are the fillers, some are the legs that are getting after it, some are the arms and the hands. Feet, sit down, would you, for a second? So often in the church, there's a part of the body that's missing. We've accepted this as normal. We've accepted this as just the way it is, and we'll just kind of walk with a limp. And so we're struggling. Because some of you don't believe that God has gifted you. Some of you don't know that God has gifted you. Some of you haven't had the courage to step out and, and trust and go, you know what, God is gifting me. And for others... We kind of go, we don't need them. They, they cause a lot of problem. You know those legs, they just move you. And moving, moving means change. And I don't like change. I'm the torso. So go ahead, sit down, torso. I'm, I'm the torso. And I, I, I want things to be stable. I don't want my heart rate to go up. And so we're going to just stay in our category here, and you stay in your category over here. In the head and all the thinkers, you sit down. You're going to go play over there. And the ears that are attentive to the Spirit of God, you're going to go do your thing. And the hands and arms that are active in the world and doing good, you guys sit down. And everybody says, you know what? We're just going to play in our own sandbox. The great tragedy of the church today. And I'm not just talking about this church. I'm talking about capital C Church is we have a church divided over differences when in fact those differences are the things that could unite us and make us better together when we begin to celebrate, celebrate. We need you. Yeah, is it harder? Yes. Is it messy? Yes. Is it better? Yes. I love uh, what Scott McKnight said. He said, our differences aren't eliminated for difference is the vitality of our fellowship. The call is to oneness, not sameness. The call is to unity, not uniformity. Not asking you to be like everyone else. Not asking you to look like everyone else. I'm asking you to embrace that you have been uniquely gifted by Christ to do supernatural good and that you would sit long enough to discover that unique gifting of God in you and then say, okay, God, use me as you will. Use me as you will. Now, some of you playing devil's advocate with me. I get it, because I would be too. By the way, for, for any of you that just kind of like argue in, inside in your head with me, I get that because that's the way I am when I sit and listen. I, I'm, I'm, Jenny likes to call me a pessimist. I like to call me a realist. Um, she's more right than wrong. Uh, but I, I, I play devil's advocate. And when we think about this better togetherness and unique gifting and that, what did I say? Your differences that unite. For some of us, we're going, no. Because the differences that divide us are so much bigger, so much stronger, so much harder than the differences that unite us, aren't they? I mean, if you really kind of get down to brass tacks, the reason the most segregated time in America is Sunday morning 
is because we have bought into this and it's hard work. It's painful, it's uncomfortable, it's awkward. And I believe it's the reason the church is anemic in America. And it's because we go, you know what? The differences that divide us are too great. I skip verse 9. Let me read it for you real quick. Because it's in one of those... Like it's like almost sectioned off by itself. See that? Our tendency is to go, well, that's just kind of a sideline comment. It's not all that big of a deal. And then we don't understand what Paul's saying at all anyway. So might as well just skip it, right? If we don't get it, just skip it. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly region? Huh? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. What? Okay. Early church fathers believed this to be that when Jesus died, that he was in, that in Hades preached and proclaimed his victory over the principalities. Others believed that it was his incarnation, that when he descended to the lower earthly regions, it was his, him becoming human form. And still, they're all kind of interconnected. And then the last is that it is at the point of the cross. I believe this actually is talking about the cross. And I think when you read the broader New Testament, it reveals that. See, the differences that divide us have been defeated at the cross. What divides us isn't race. Black, white, doesn't divide us. What divides us isn't politics, liberal, conservative. It's not what divides us. What divides us isn't our social economic status, blue collar, white collar. That is not what divides us. You know what divides us? Sin. C.S. Lewis called it the great sin, pride, self-conceit. What divides us is selfishness and a pursuit of oneself at others' cost. And every single one of the things I listed becomes an issue when you are the main issue. And at the cross, the differences that divide us have been defeated. Notice what the Apostle Paul says in Colossians 2.13. He forgave us, circle that word, all our sins. How much of your sins did he forgive you? Okay, we're going to believe it in a second. He forgave us what? All of our sins. Having canceled the written code with its regulation that was against us and that stood opposed to us, he took it, nailing it to the cross. It is finished. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the 
cross. The differences that divided us were defeated at the cross. It is finished. Now, you know what the call is? Every follower of Jesus with the politician and the prostitute, with the Jewish person and the Greek, with the liberal, the conservative. The call is to forgive as God has forgiven you. I'm sorry. No, 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 you you don't get it. See, the differences that divide us have been defeated at the cross. And how much did he forgive you? All. And then the call is to forgive as God forgave you. So how much do you forgive? All. That is how a church that was so different, a church that had nothing in common but Jesus alone, that had everything going against it in the outward world intensely persecuting. Sparked a movement that changed the world. It wasn't lip service. It wasn't a good thought. This is what they believed and then as a result lived out. So, Spiritual gifts, your spiritual gift. It's a sign of Christ's victory over sin, death, and Satan. It's not a status symbol or spiritual measurement. Isn't it funny that the very thing that came to be a unifier can often divide us? Well, we're spirit-driven. Well, we're Bible-based. Blah, 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 blah. Shut up! It's not a spiritual measurement. It's not a status symbol. It is in humility saying, by the way, this is a gift from God to be steward. I I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it. And I'm going to use it unto his glory. So it's not about the gift. It's about the giver. It's about Jesus. It should always go back to him. I want to read a passage to you, and then I want to ask a few questions. I'm going to give you two applications. I'm just going to read it. I'm not, I'm not even going to, um, I'm going to do my best not to give commentary on it. And I want to just close with a few questions just for you to think about. Now, I just want to ask you to do two things. Philippians 2. says this, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility Consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, 
but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likenesses, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You can either focus on the differences that divide us or on the differences that unite us. You have been uniquely gifted by God to do supernatural good. And the differences that divide us have been defeated at the cross. So let me ask you these questions. What is it that we could do together that we could never do alone? I mean, use some spiritual imagination. What is it that we could do together, the collective we, that could never be done alone? What is going to be the distinct or be distinct or different about us? Never thought about that. Not just about you, not just about getting your distinct brand out to the world your distinct reputation at your job, what's gonna be distinct about us, the church of Jesus Christ, the hope of the world sent to bring his good? What is gonna be distinct or different about us? What is gonna be compelling to a lost and hurting world? What will we be known for? Here's my ask of you this week. First, would you encourage someone in their gifting? Would you encourage them? Would you talk about it? Would you call it out in them? When you see them doing supernatural good, they may see it as ordinary because it comes so naturally. Would you encourage someone when they're doing supernatural good? I spoke of Steve Saccone. He did this with a young couple, uh, Neumann and Krista, incredible couple in our community. And he saw in them something they couldn't see in themselves, invited them and asked them, hey, would you be a missional community leader? I, I, we never have been, we never could be. But he saw something in there, the supernatural good that God had placed in there. And they stepped into that role. And it's been so fun to watch their giftings come alive and see a community grow. It is powerful when we as the community encourage one another, speak into life into one another and say, man, I see this in you. When you do that, when you say that, when you're serving in this way, wow. Wow. Imagine if that just became a practice. Imagine if we just became a community when we saw someone, no matter how big or small, we just said, wow how it fueled the fire. 
And then finally, would you intentionally pursue your place in the body of Christ? We're going to talk more about that next week, how to actually do that. But will you intentionally pursue your place in the body of Christ? Where being on the sidelines isn't acceptable. When you go, I'm gifted. I have a place. God's intentionally placed you here to help build his kingdom in Silicon Valley. Would you pursue your place? Think of one couple that just started our church maybe a month or two ago, John, Mark, and Louisa, incredible couple. And their very first Sunday here, they went to a launch class, and then they're actually over in our intro class right now. They just dove in fully. They've already signed up for kids' ministry, and they're going through the background check and process and all that. They've only been here four weeks, but they're just all in. By the way, that's how you get connected. That's how you get cared for. And when you intentionally pursue, and some are going, well, somebody invite me. Somebody show me. Nobody loves me. I'm going to go try somewhere else and do the same thing and experience the same reality. And you go, no, no, no. I'm going to intentionally pursue my place here. Why? Because you are uniquely gifted to do supernatural good. Bring it to the table. Let me pray for us. And we'll close. Do you stand and close this way? Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we have more in common because of you. Thank you that each of us who have placed our faith in you stand forgiven. And so then may we forgive well. Thank you that you have placed your spirit inside of us and you have uniquely gifted us. I pray, I pray we would be a community that steps into who you made us to be, that the collective we would be a picture of your body at work that would be so compelling and so attractive that a watching world would go, man, that's, that's a bunch of difference altogether, but they, there's a sense of joy. How do they have that unity that there would just be a wonder to your body yet again? And we'd see this city reached for your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Great morning with you. Next week, we're talking about making the dream team. No, uh, teamwork makes the dream work. Making the dream work. There you go. See you next week.